We'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 34. And I've entitled the message, When Jesus Shows Up. I heard about two boys who were misbehaving terribly in Sunday school. The teacher couldn't do anything to get them under control. And so as a last-ditch effort, the teacher sent them to see the pastor there in his study. Well, the pastor called one of those young boys in and left the other one standing out in the hall. And uh, the preacher asked the young boy, he said, I just have one question for you. Where is Jesus? The little boy looked at the pastor and didn't say anything. And he asked him the second time, he said, can you tell me, where is Jesus? The little boy said nothing. And so finally the pastor said, all right, you go out in the hall, get your buddy, bring him in. We'll see if he has anything to say. Well, his friend goes out in the hallway and talks to his buddy, and his buddy says to him, he says, hey, what did he do to you? What did he say to you? His friend said, well, I want to tell you something. We are in a whole heap of trouble it appears that Jesus is missing, and they think we took him. <laughs> Aren't you glad when we come together as God's people, we don't have to look around and wonder where Jesus is? He's here, isn't he? Uh, even when you didn't plan to preach in chapel, he's here anyway. No matter what happens, when God's people come together, Jesus is in our midst. He said that. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's here today. Praise the Lord. He's going to be with us when we get together on Easter Sunday morning too, isn't he? And it's going to be a great time. Well, this morning in this passage of Scripture, I want you to think about the subject when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, and we're going to see him show up in a big way in this passage in front of us today. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. When they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. In these next few minutes, 
I want us to just delve into this passage of Scripture. And I want us to think about what is happening as this scene unfolds before us. And I want to call to your attention three responses that are likely to happen any time Jesus shows up. They happened in this passage of Scripture. These three responses are likely to happen when Jesus shows up in your church, in your community, wherever Jesus makes an appearance. These occurrences are likely, these responses are likely to take place. So let's look at them this morning. The first response that we are likely to see when Jesus shows up is that desperate needs are no longer concealed. Desperate needs are no longer concealed. Wherever Jesus went, human need was made known. People knew that Jesus could do something about their problems. There was just something about being in the presence of Jesus that for the first time caused a lot of people to become honest about their own relationship with God. In this passage of Scripture, it happened when Jesus came to the country of the Gergesenes over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there he meets these two demon-possessed men who are coming out of the tombs. Now, these men obviously had some desperate needs, didn't they? They had some desperate needs. For one thing, they were living in a cemetery. The Scripture says they came forth from the tombs. Now, folks, I just want to tell you, if you're living in a cemetery, if that's the place you've chosen to make home, you may want to get some professional help somewhere. Because people in their right minds just don't choose to live in a cemetery. You know, one of the things I've never understood about Baptist churches, I'm just going to be honest here, one of the things I've never understood about Baptist churches that have a parsonage, why do they have to put that parsonage so close to the cemetery? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Most of them are either beside the cemetery or across the road looking at the cemetery. I've never quite understood the connection between the two. Maybe it's so that when a pastor gets up on Monday morning after he's preached his heart out on Sunday and not a lot happened and you're having a blue Monday, you get up and look out the window and first thing you see is the cemetery. And, and you think, well, at least I'm maybe better off than those people are right now. But there's something wrong with somebody that lives in a cemetery. It means that these men were preoccupied with, with death. In another passage of Scripture, it talks about how that they were cutting themselves with stones. In reality, these men were trying to get as close to death as possible and were really trying to end their lives. And we're going to see that come into play later in this passage of Scripture. So... Desperate needs in the lives of these men. They're living in a cemetery. Secondly, they were unable to control themselves. They were exceedingly fierce, the Scripture says. And the reason they couldn't control themselves is because they were under Satan's control. They were under his dominion. They were demon-possessed men. Now, both of these men were in the same condition. As long as one man compared himself to the other man, he didn't feel so bad because he was, his, his buddy was equally as bad as he was. And many times we do the same thing, don't we? 
We compare ourselves to the people that are around us. And usually when we do, if you ever notice what we do, we pick somebody that's worse off than we are. If we're in a situation of needing to lose weight, we pick somebody that's heavier than we are. If we pick somebody that, uh, you know, that uh, if we, need, we realize we need to get into shape or need to eat better, whatever the case may be, we look at somebody that may not be doing quite as well as we are and we compare ourselves to them. We have mastered the human art of finding someone who is worse off than we are in an attempt to make our own selves look better. I heard about an overweight man who said that he found a solution to his weight problem. None of the diets that he did ever worked. The keto diet, the, the uh, Adkins diet, the Weight Watchers diet, the South Beach diet. None of these diets ever worked for him. And so finally he just said this. He says, here's the solution to my weight problem. I am making best friends with every sumo wrestler that I can find. Because wherever I'm, whenever I'm with them, I always look small compared to their size. Well, when we compare ourselves to other people, we can make ourselves look pretty good on most situations. But I want to tell you, there's a time when we don't look so good, and that's when we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when these two demon-possessed men who'd been looking at one another and their own misery and sinful condition, when they looked at Jesus Christ and they saw his holiness and they saw his glory, perhaps for the first time those men saw themselves as they really were. You remember Simon Peter when he saw the glory of the Lord revealed? When, when Simon Peter uh, heard Jesus preach and on that occasion when he used Simon Peter's boat for a pulpit and then he told Peter launch out into the deep for a catch of fish and Peter caught so many fish the net began to break and, and, and Peter realized who Jesus was and he fell down at his feet and he said depart from me I'm a sinful man O Lord. There's just something about when Jesus shows up that it causes these desperate needs in our lives to no longer be concealed. We see it in this passage of Scripture. But then secondly, whenever Jesus shows up, demonic forces must yield. Aren't you thankful for that? That there's one in this world who's greater than Satan and his power? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, the word of God says. And when Jesus shows up, the demonic forces must yield. We see it here in verse 29. It says, and suddenly the demon-possessed men, they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Isn't it amazing that those demons... They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the Son of God, and they had no question about that whatsoever. <laughs> now, hey, demons have figured it out that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> Don't you wish some of the liberal theologians would get it figured out too? I mean, there are some liberal theologians that have to improve just to come up to the level of the devil. Because the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God and they don't know that. 
They've not figured that out yet. The devil is ahead of them on that particular point. And so these demons, they realize Jesus is the Son of God, that they are subject to his control, and that if Jesus says go, they're going to have to leave. And so anticipating what is about ready to happen, the uh, demon-possessed men, the demons inside of them, begged Jesus, if you cast us out, permit us to go into this herd of swine. The Gospel of Mark, in giving us the account of this same miracle and event in the life of Jesus, Mark says that there were 2,000 swine that were feeding there uh, in that field. And so when Jesus cast the demons out of those demon-possessed men, they went into the swine, and that is the first case of deviled ham ever mentioned in human history. It's amazing what you learn here at Fruitland, isn't it? (laughs) But here's the point I want to make with that. Here's the point that I want to make. When those demons went into those pigs, notice what the pigs did. They started running. They went over the edge of the cliff, and they drowned in the sea. Now, here's the lesson that we need to learn. That's the strategy of the devil. What Satan was trying to do when those two demon-possessed men was to get them to take their own lives. That's why they were living in a cemetery. That's why they were cutting themselves with stones. They were preoccupied with death, their own deaths, and it was Satan who was behind it all energizing that. Listen, if you are tempted in any way to take your life, God has nothing at all to do with that. It's all Satan. It's Satan li- Satan's lies. It's what he's telling you. Jesus said of the devil in John 8, that he was a murderer from the beginning. And in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the proof of that is in this passage of Scripture. As those Demon-possessed men were set free from the demons. The demons from those men went to the pigs and the pigs went over the cliff and took their own lives. Listen, don't let Satan do that to you today. When you look around at a lost, unbelieving world that doesn't know Christ, these people need hope. They're in Satan's bondage. Satan says, jump, and they say, how high? They think they're in control of their lives, but Satan is really in control. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, there's hope for you because the power of Jesus is greater than the power of the devil. And when Jesus shows up, demonic forces must yield to his authority. I love the story about the captain on the bridge of a large naval destroyer one dark and stormy night. The captain looked out and he saw a light that was out there in the distance directly in front of him on collision course. And so the captain radioed instructions to the intruder Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. 
The captain snapped back, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, second class. The furious captain then shouted, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And the reply came back on the radio, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that lighthouse is not going anywhere. And it's up to everything else to change its relationship in regard to where that lighthouse is. And Jesus is the lighthouse. He is immovable. Jesus is there. And when Jesus says to Satan that he's got to move, that he's got to bail out, thank God all those who are in Satan's possession, they are set free as the demonic forces yield. So when Jesus shows up, two likely responses, desperate needs are no longer concealed. And then secondly, demonic forces must yield. But then number three, when Jesus shows up, disturbing motives are revealed. We read about it in verse 34 where it says, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. You ever read scripture and you wish the verse just stopped in one spot like that and it didn't continue on with the rest of the story? This is a passage like that. I wish it just said, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus and, and it stopped there. Or if I could write my own ending to it, I would put an ending in like this. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus and a revival broke out and thousands of people were saved and set free. I wish that was the way this verse ended. But the truth is, it says something different. Oh, there's that great statement, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus but then it tells us, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. I wish it said that when they saw Jesus, they gave him the key to the city. And they said, Jesus, we want you to stay here. We want you to minister here. There are so many needs that need to be taken care of. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth is when Jesus shows up in power and glory, not everybody wants what he has to offer. Not everybody wants what Jesus has to offer. What happened here is that Jesus messed up the business enterprise of these townspeople and they didn't like it one bit. I mean, who do you think it was that was that put all those swines, all those pigs out there in the field anyway? It was those people in the town that had done that. That's how they were making their living by, by raising swine. And Jesus hit them right where it hurts in the pocketbook. Hey, there are a lot of ways you can tell what people are made of. But one way for sure you can tell what people are made of. Just touch them at the point of their finances. <laughs> and you'll find out real quick. That's what happened in this passage of Scripture. 
here these people were and, and they, they faulted Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to be around because he was messing up their way of making a living. And tragically, these people were concerned more about swine than they were about souls. They cared more about pigs who had drowned than about demon-possessed men that had been delivered. What a messed up bunch of priorities. Now, we can see that very clearly in them, can't we? from just the way this passage of Scripture reads. But we also see messed up priorities all around us in our world, don't we? How many times do we watch the news or we read the news on the Internet or whatever our source is, we read what's going on and we just scratch our heads. What in the world are they thinking? How could you even arrive at some of the conclusions that people come to. One of the things that I do from time to time when I'm in traffic and I'm sitting at a stoplight waiting for it to change, I read the bumper stickers of those cars that are around me. And sometimes I wish I didn't read the bumper stickers that were around me, if you know what I'm saying. But not long ago, I was uh, sitting at a stoplight, and here was a vehicle in front of me that had some interesting bumper stickers on it, and I started reading them, and one of the bumper stickers said, Stop clear-cutting. Boycott Georgia Pacific. And so it was clear to me that here was a person that was concerned about the trees and concerned about the environment and so forth, and so they wanted to protect the trees. And then here was another bumper sticker that had something to do with saving the whales. And I thought, well, they're, they're concerned about the whales, and, and that's okay. They're part of God's creation. So they're concerned about the environment. They're concerned about the whales. And then the other bumper sticker on the car was a bumper sticker that was in favor of abortion. And I thought to myself, has this person driving this vehicle ever considered how illogical and in my opinion how silly their position is? Here they are, they're concerned about the trees. I don't fault them for that. They're concerned about the whales. I don't have such an issue with that. But the same person concerned about plant life and concerned about animal life, they're not concerned about human life. And ladies and gentlemen, it is a tragedy in America today that one of the safest, one of the most unsafe places that a baby can be is inside its own mother's womb. That baby as a newborn could be placed out here in the middle of the road somewhere and be safer than they are today inside a mother's womb who doesn't believe in God and believe in the Bible and the message that God has for us. How can we be concerned about plant life and animal life and not be concerned about human life that is the very crown of God's creation? It's the same thing happening in this passage of Scripture. 
They didn't like what Jesus had to offer. Their priorities got all out of whack, all messed up. And listen, if we're not careful, we can let our priorities get messed up too, can't we? And that's why we've got to keep Jesus in the midst and we've got to evaluate what we believe and how we live and what we do on the basis of what Jesus says to us and what the Word of God says to us. And by the way, uh, people today, they, they talk about the Old Testament and it not being relevant. Let me remind you that it was Jesus who said that not one jot or tittle is going to pass away until all be fulfilled. Jesus came to ultimately fulfill it all. And so priorities can get out of whack if we're not careful. At a Super Bowl event <laughs> a few years ago, you know how Super Bowls are. Packed out, no empty seat to be found anywhere. And there was a man at the Super Bowl who was seated behind a lady and uh, other people, of course, in front. Uh, but there was an empty seat beside this lady. And this man kept thinking, well, somebody's going to come and take this seat. They've gone to the restroom. They've gone to get refreshments. They're somewhere else. Somebody's going to come and get this seat in a moment. No one ever did. And finally, it was halftime. And the man just leaned up to the lady in front of him and, and he said, Ma'am, um, I'm sorry to bother you, but my curiosity is getting the best of me. Here we are halfway through the Super Bowl. There's an empty seat beside of you. <laughs> can, can you explain that? I figured every seat here would be fulfilled, uh, that would be filled. And the lady responded and said, Oh, this seat was supposed to be my husband's seat but he died. He passed away. The man behind her said, oh, I'm so very sorry to hear that, but I'm surprised that a relative or a friend or maybe another family member didn't take the seat that was reserved for him. <laughs> the woman replied and said, beats me why they didn't. They all insisted on going to the funeral. <laughs> but... Some of you will get that about lunchtime. Some of you uh, intellectuals already got it. It's clear to you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. You take Jesus out of the picture and out of our lives, we have no basis for why we believe what we do and, and, and all the ways that we live and all these kind of things. But when Jesus came forth from the grave on that third day and we'll be celebrating it this Sunday on Easter Sunday, Jesus is saying that every word he spoke is true, that every word in this Bible is true and his resurrection proves it. Folks, as we do ministry in our churches, as we strive to do what God would have us to do, we've got to keep the priority of reaching lost people and, and missions and sharing the word of God in our community, in our nation, in our world. We've got to keep that top priority and we've got to always remember that redeeming souls is always more important than raising pigs. Amen? And in this passage of Scripture, they chose raising pigs over redeeming people. And we don't ever need to do that. Jesus shows up when his people are together. What are we going to let him do? 
We're here early in the quarter. Founders Day is coming up in a few weeks. Chapel has been great here this quarter. God's going to keep doing so much. He's going to keep showing up. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do when Jesus shows up? Let's never see what Jesus does as an interference. Let's see what Jesus does as the thing that we've been praying for and longing for and desiring with all of our hearts. Let's bow together and pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for this passage of Scripture and what it says to us. Lord, our desire is to just simply see you show up and manifest your glory. Though you are always present with us, there are times that we read in Scripture where more happened than at other times when Jesus showed up. And it's based upon our belief in you and what we desire to happen. I'm thinking, Lord, about the time when Jesus went to his own hometown and the Bible says not many miracles took place there because of their unbelief. Oh, Lord, may that never be the case in our lives. May that never be the case here at Fruitland. Father, help us to always desire everything that you want to do in us here at Fruitland, in our churches, and our families. Oh, God, we want to see you not only show up, but we want to see you manifest your glory. We just want to see you absolutely take charge of the situation and bring much glory to yourself as you do things that could be accomplished no other way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.